and welcome to this latest edition of the CityWire Ratings Radar Show. Uh, a lot has been happening lately. Uh, in Britain, we've uh, more or less run out of fuel. Frank can't get his daughter to nursery, so if we hear a little yell, that is from her because she's stuck at home with her parents, uh, and I'm sure getting a lot of attention. Uh, in the bigger world, uh, it's all been happening in China with the Evergrande crisis. And we're going to concentrate on that this week, uh, looking at that and the bigger picture of emerging markets, because China is by far the biggest country classified as emerging markets. Uh, and on that, uh, apart from Frank, we've got Angus here as well, and Nisha Long. Uh, and Nisha is going to tell us, well, I think we all know what's happening, but Nisha, what does it mean, uh, not only for China, but for people investing in China and, and indeed the global economy as a whole. Yeah, so um, with China, there's quite a lot going on there at the moment. Um, just to give a bit of a background, because it really did start off with um, the regulatory crackdown in China. So, you know, with um, sectors such as technology, um, after school tutoring, um, and all of this was, you know, to make the economy more equitable in China, which is, you know, a good stance to have. Um, then you move on to... Um, expanding, you know, the crackdown on cryptocurrencies as well in China. So now recently it's become um, the activities have become illegal. Um, so the People's Bank of China and other government agencies have targeted overseas cryptocurrency exchanges um, just last week on this. But then the biggest thing that we all know about is, um, you know, Evergrande not, well, the fallout from the Evergrande group and possibly defaulting on its loans and which is really filtered into the real estate market and um, it has really seen the volatility really creep up on this as well so there's slowdown anyway in China from all of um, what was happening before but now we've got this as well in the high yield market in the high yield bond market where these you know companies aren't able to pay back their loans and have to have, get extensions from banks and we have seen a contagion effect so the other property developers other real estate companies in china have had the same kind of falls and even bigger falls this week for example sunak um, holdings another property developer which is falling um, steadily because of the contagion effect but then also one of the largest developers um, by sales in China, Country Garden Holdings was also struggling from contagion effect. But I, they don't have a problem with repaying of loans, but it was still is still hitting them as well because they're in the real estate. People are selling off in that market, and it is you know one of those areas where high yield. You know for a fact it's going to happen. That's why they're high yield bonds in the first place. You know if something happens in the market, that's why you are getting a high yield because they are risky, and this just proves the point that it's not for everyone and you know they give you know great yields but if something like this happens in the market you are going to be burnt um, from it um, but having said all that you know I don't think the China government they won't allow it to fail in the sense of they'll allow it to fail but not in the sense that you know it's like a massive bomb dropping they will you know manage and control that um, so it's not as volatile in the market um, but you know if you don't allow these companies to fail um, you can't keep insuring them up. Um, you know, they've taken all this debt on. Could they manage it? Obviously not. You know, and that is, I think, something that investors need to look more at and more due diligence has to go into these kind of markets, especially when we have downturns like this. 
Um, but having said that, just one point I want to make is um, research over the years that I've done, like past five years, six years going back on high yield markets. When you have a fall like this, it could also be a buying opportunity, you know, in these high yield markets, because most markets in the high yield sector do shore up, you know, and you can get fantastic returns um, as well. But that is by looking at your investments properly, though. Yes, uh, I'll bring Angus in a second, but uh, we saw that really at the start of the COVID crisis, March 2020, high yields went through the floor, the Fed stepped in, it was the it was the sale of the century, really. Uh, Angus? I'm interested, really, I guess, in the idea of, Nisha, you're talking about, will something be allowed to fail? And I think the, the interesting thing here for me is that perhaps the idea of what failing means is now going to be different in China to, to the idea that we have in the West, of what failure of a, of a, of a corporate is. Uh, so uh, there's been a lot of commentary, which I think is probably pretty much on the button, about how this is the kind of the re-centralization of the Chinese economy. And, you know, sort of the communist elements, traditional communist elements, if you like, reasserting themselves. So I, I guess the question that poses is that, in any in any other developed economy, it would be a buying buying opportunity. But is it a buying opportunity if the rules are going to be different going forward for investors? Uh, one of the things I found really interesting about the Evergrande, or is it Evergrande? I'm not sure. Evergrande, Evergrande. Does anyone know? One of the things I found really interesting was the talk about the restructuring. Uh, uh, there's a lot of there's a, there's a suggestion that restructuring will involve the um, the sort of the small investor being paid out first, the small guy getting, you know, priority over the over the big bondholders. It's sort of reverse of what you'd expect in uh, in one of our sophisticated Western economic machines. Uh, and so, again, you know, have the rules changed? Is this a longer term thing? And and if so, how should people who are going to buy, you know, looking to buy cheaply, how should they be thinking about it? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Actually, you know, coming back to my, my petrol problem, uh, I think there are actually some pretty big parallels with investment markets. So apparently there's enough supply of petrol in the UK. Or sorry, this is gas for our American listeners. But it's all just panic buying. And and the parallels, are, I'm, forgive me if someone else has made this point, but it only takes a little bit of fear to tip people over the edge. And eventually you you get a stampede. And there aren't many people that don't think broadly, not just China, that equity market valuations don't look a little stretched at the moment. They've been treading water for a month or so. Um, I'm not saying that the Chinese property is the trigger for that sell-off. It looks as though the contagion has been mostly limited to the Chinese market. But it doesn't take a lot to spook spook people. Um, on China specifically, it feels like a real step back. You know, there was a belief that the property market had cleaned up its act. You know, that was a view that was being disseminated across the asset management industry. Uh, and, and it wasn't as frothy as it used to be, but that's certainly being called into question at the moment. You know, the biggest step back is that investors have finally come to view China as a buy and hold investment. Uh, but Beijing's intervention in Chinese tech initially had investors concerned. This, again, has had investors concerned. Um, But broadly, when talking about the Chinese market, though, history is repeating itself again. This is the third time in the last decade the Chinese market has jumped 100% in a very short space of time, only to give most of that back within a year of hitting its peak. So 
where does that leave people wanting to allocate to China? You've got global brands now in China that people recognize and, and with a huge consumer base. And yet, if, if Chinese government's going to keep intervening in the way that it has been, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be you know, difficult to, to, to sell it uh, to investors, particularly in the West, going forward. You know, there have obviously been some big individual stock winners in China. People have done phenomenally well. But overall, it's pretty much gone sideways for 10 years. And it's maintaining its reputation as a highly volatile market. There are obviously individual managers that have done very well and continue to outperform the market, despite the fact it hasn't done particularly well on its own. But you'd expect it to be a stock picker's market, given the inefficiencies. There is a dilemma here, though, Frank, isn't there? Because perhaps the Chinese government is making the calculation that the market there is so big and the potential prize so attractive that people are going to be prepared to take that risk, to take the risk that there might be further state intervention. Because you know, the, 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 the payoff is, is so big if you get it right. And I, I guess it's a similar dilemma in some ways to the one we were talking about a few months back, where you saw firms that were being, you know, effectively blacklisted in China because they were doing something or making some assertion elsewhere that the Chinese government didn't like. And, and again, it's, it's the same kind of decision, isn't it? What price are you prepared to pay for, for access to that market if you're a, you know, if you're a, a, a consumer firm or a, a you know, a, a large an automobile supplier or whatever it may be but also on your, your point about allocation which i think is another really interesting area because we've talked quite a lot in the past about how china was being carved out of the emerging market allocation people increasingly were saying there was a china allocation and then there's an emerging market a generic emerging market allocation that's elsewhere now i i wonder how that works in reverse because if china starts to behave differently to the way those other emerging markets are behaving, do you, you know, in the old days, a downturn in China was a downturn for emerging markets. Well, perhaps that's not going to be the case if the downturn in China is a very China-specific downturn. Nisha, you're nodding. Yeah, I'm nodding because um, I've just seen, well, recently saw something on India, actually, as, you know, the next, well, wouldn't say the next emerging market is still an emerging market, but um, the next big thing after China. Um, just recently, for example, you see all these um, downturns going on in China, and it is in specific sectors. It's not the whole broad market. And just one point I wanted to make on China quickly is that some of these regulations that have come into place, some investors might see them as ESG friendly. So you have those, you know, tutoring, you know, education companies who were taking money, but you know, at the end of the day, to have it more equitable and having all your kids, you know, educated at the same level, etc. I think some things that they've done is good for the market. And I'm sure that some of the things, for example, cryptocurrency, I mean, there's a lot of volatility happening there. So some people might actually think, now I want to invest in this country because they've done all of this as well. So there's a flip side to this as well, especially if you start looking at specific stocks and specific sectors. And it is a long-term game. It's not just, you know, to dip your toes in and come out again. China has always been a long-term theme. And I think Coming back to the point I want to make about India, so one of the largest banks there, HDFC, now they um, actually stopped lending to retail um, clients, you know, during the COVID pandemic. But what they've done now is um, they're going to make loans available again. So that just shows that the reopening of the economies, you know, 
lending to you know these smaller companies um you know that's going to be ramped up again giving the opportunities and small caps for example in that country so i think it's an area to watch especially in the small cap space um because you can see the bigger banks you know starting to lend once again um and i think for india in itself if you don't want to go at the moment into china there's an opportunity to start looking into india as well uh, nisha let's uh, before we get too far away from china uh Famously, there were people who saw the 2008 crash coming. Uh, are there any China investors that you track who have uh, who've sort of anticipated, changed their portfolio outlook, uh, have, have taken less of a hit during the last few weeks? Yeah, um, so some of the managers, it's actually on the equity side. So equity managers, they're still looking good, especially um, if you start looking at, you know, citywide ratings, you know, tracking managers over the, you know, their three-year period. Um, so managers have come into the ratings of the AAA rating this month. So Man Wing Chung, for example, from Value Partners. Now, he manages an Asia Pac X Japan fund, but also manages a China equity fund, which hasn't done that bad, you know, during this period. But he does hold, you know, the typical suspects in Chinese equities, such as Tencent, Alibaba, might, you know, Pingan Insurance. But some of these managers, what they've been doing is, you know, shaving off their... <laughs> There's a dog in the background. <laughs> They've been shaving off, you know, their holdings and lowering their, um, well, take on these um, companies. But you, there's one manager, Winnie Chuang, who is, you know, on a China, Matthews Asia, Asia China Small Companies Fund. So that's where small caps are coming back into this as well. So they're not as hit as hard on these regulatory pressures like all the big companies have been, especially in tech. So I think if opportunities you're looking for, small caps are still, and we saw that in the US small cap, you know, after the pandemic, it's the same that's happening in other, in the emerging markets. If you start looking at the small caps, you know, that's where some of the opportunities still are. Um, it's still a stock picker's world. So it's not just going into all the ones that you usually know. Um, it is looking at the ones which are hidden gems in China in particular. Right. Uh, I mean, two two remarks that have been made to me. One, one, one was an FT headline. Is, uh, is, uh, is China uninvestable now? And we can deal with that. And the other was by uh, a friend of mine who's just written a, a brilliant book on Hong Kong. Uh, and he says, when it comes to, uh, you know, the Chinese Communist Party, the clue is in the name, the middle word. It is communist. It can do what it's like. There is no form of checks and balances. It's, it's judge and jury. Uh, so you put those two together. I mean, does, does, a, does no matter how massive the economy is, the fact that it is run by a pretty hardline Communist Party, does it make it inv- uninvestable despite the potential there? I think that is a really tough question. I think it's something that people are asking themselves across the industry. I don't know if it's uninvestable, but I don't think we've hit the point of maximum fear yet in terms of what the Chinese government is prepared to do. So I think there'll be a better buying opportunity. I'm not going to bet the farm on that, but it seems it seems that they're not they're not done yet with how they want to assert control, and there are going to be additional shocks. I think also there's, I mean, it's a balancing act, right? So, so just as the investors have to make that decision, you know, is this a chance I'm prepared to take or not? The reason the Chinese government can get away with doing what it likes is because the consequences, uh, it feels the consequences are not going to be particularly unpleasant for, for, for the people that run the country. 
But, and the reason for that is the size of the economy and the, the financial muscle, the economic muscle that China now, now has. So if, if the consequence of their policy is that that economic power declines, obviously that's, that's the tipping point, isn't it? So on the one hand, they need to keep the economy thriving to, to the point where they are both secure in power and globally influential, uh, but they want to maintain that, that centralised control. So, so th- that's the balance they have to strike, isn't it? Yeah, and also there's, uh, I guess, you know, call it what you like, the ESG stroke moral uh, side of things in a country where there is very little human rights. And George Soros wrote a, and relevant to the industry where all of us earn a living, George Soros wrote a very powerful op-ed in the Wall Street Journal recently saying that... Uh, you know, and talking about it was talking about BlackRock in particular going big into China, getting a license to sell there, and so on. And he thinks this is a terrible mistake. He thinks Congress should pass legislation about investing uh, in, in the end as American savers and pension, you know, pension savers money into China. Uh, are we are we aware of what all his short positions are, though, Richard? Well, you know, you took the words out of my mouth, Angus. That. Uh, uh, George Soros has made killings in, in, in various uh, crises before, as we all know, uh, and by taking the opposite side of of, uh, of what everyone else is in. So, yeah, I think knows? it's I, I think it's one of those situations where, unfortunately, money talks. You only need to look at Apple. It's the biggest market, China, for virtually every company, serious global playing company in the world. You can't exclude it. You can't offend them. Uh, until a company like Apple, which you'd expect to make a stand, makes a stand and, and pushes back. But with the NBA, football, all falling into line with, with the Chinese diktat, yeah, yeah. I, I not, don't think it's going to change anytime soon. It's not going to happen. There was a video of, of, some, of an Apple store in a major Chinese city, I don't know which one, and sort of people knocking each other, knocking each other over to try and get the new uh, iPhone 13 uh, so, yeah, you can't see Apple giving that up. Uh, so it does come back to the eternal question of, you know, follow the money, uh, talk about human rights, except where it, it affects your, your own business and uh, rinse and repeat for the next 15 years, I guess. Uh, so on that note, it sounded slack. Well, not really, but, you know, it is a pretty... A pretty serious situation. But on that note, I think we'll wrap things up. Uh, so from Angus, Nisha, Frank and myself, Richard Lander, I think I forgot to introduce myself earlier. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back with the next edition of the Ratings Radar Show in a couple of weeks.